I'm Sarah, and welcome back to another episode of the SarahCast. We are well into this school year, and the reality we were introduced to back in March is still present everywhere around us. We're living through a global pandemic. Still. We're learning and working from home. Still. We're worried about our health and the health of those we love. Still. We're supporting each other through illness, job loss, grief, and fear. Still. Now that we are eight months into this health crisis, it's time to acknowledge the giant elephant in the room with us, trauma. We have all experienced trauma during this time, all of us. We continue to move our lives forward as best we can to teach and support our students, raise our kids, live our lives the safest way we can. And sure, yes, we are experiencing joy, play, curiosity, and fun during this time, but our emotions are not a zero-sum game. We can make the best of a difficult situation and at the same time experience trauma, both individually and as a community. Trauma can be difficult to talk about, but as hard as it may be, we have to name it. We have to talk about it. It often feels personal, affecting us in ways that we can't always anticipate. Until then, it hits us. And it doesn't always hit us right away or even all at once. That giant elephant can sit very quietly in the room with us, taking up space silently until one day it begs our attention. Similarly to joy, the impact of trauma may hit us in waves. It comes and then it goes. Social emotional learning helps us hone the skills we need to ride those waves when they hit to recognize that the impact of the trauma will pass. We can learn to anticipate the waves of feelings and identify the best ways to support ourselves and others when they come over us. I've worked with many educators over the years who take a trauma-informed approach to their classroom or school-wide practices. And I think that now is the ideal time to learn from these leaders who support both individuals and communities through trauma. Today, I'm speaking with Matthew Portell, the principal of Fall Hamilton Elementary School in Metro Nashville Public Schools. Now, full disclosure, Metro Nashville is a partner of Move This World, and we've had the pleasure of working with Matthew for several years. He is also the founder of Paradigm Shift Education, and you may be familiar with him from the Trauma-Informed Educators Network. He is an expert practitioner of trauma-informed practices, and in today's conversation, we dig into some tangible advice that school leaders can use to support their schools this year. I'd love to hear from you about your trauma-informed practices and what you take away from this conversation today. Our DMs are open at move underscore this world. Today, I am so grateful to be here with my friend and longtime partner of Move This World, Matthew Portell, founder of Paradigm Shift Education, which includes the Trauma-Informed Educators Network and principal of Fall Hamilton Elementary School, an internationally recognized innovative model school for trauma-informed practices in Metro Nashville Public Schools, Tennessee. 
It's also incredibly appropriate that we're having this conversation about trauma in a moment in time where we're all experiencing acute stress and challenges and trauma. So I'm just so honored to have this time with him because I know we all will benefit from his expertise. Matthew, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey within education. So uh, I, I guess to start, I, I have been in education for about 15, well, 15 years. Um, started off as a, a teacher and uh, I was a teacher of English learners. Uh, and that's what I saw myself doing for a really long time. And uh, I had somebody approach me saying, hey, they're, they're needing EL coaches would you be willing to interview? And I thought, sure. I mean, I, I loved what I was doing, but somebody offered it to, to interview. So I did. And I became a district uh, EL coach. And I did that for two years. And I can tell you, I was in middle and high school and talk about opening the, the, the scope of my vision of what education is, could be, and should be. Uh, it really laid the, pound, the, the, the groundwork for me on seeing what my role would be. Ultimately, I did get into school administration several years later and um, am the very proud principal of an amazing school in Nashville. And I can tell you, um, I, I can't imagine being anywhere else with the amazing teaching staff and support staff that I have at school. Uh, even leaving today, I, I, it, was a, it was a tough day. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It was really tough. I still left with a sense of pride and honor. Um, as I met with a few colleagues as we were walking out the door about who I get to work with, both kids and adults, and how privileged I am to just be a leader of a school that puts kids first and with no question um, and with no disregard for anything other than it's what we should be doing. And then also watching my staff put each other second um, mm -hmm. and, and saying, you know, we have to be taking care of each other in order for us to all take care of the children. So I, I just left after a hard day, insanely optimistic, which are the words of one of my previous um, exceptional ed teachers. Well, I'm sure they all feel very lucky to have you as their leader championing trauma-informed practices and culture within the school. I know it's been a tough day. You mentioned you even prior to us jumping on this call, there were so many parts of your day that you didn't expect that don't typically fall under the responsibilities of a principal changing a flat tire. You said so, someone showed up in the um, to the school and their you know needed car help, and there you were in your tie and your mask and getting it done. The mm -hmm. amount of sweat that, that occurred was probably unnatural <laughs> and it wasn't, I just, you know, and it's one of those things where I didn't even think twice. It's like this, 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 uh, caregiver had issues. I had to do it. And then I was like, the, the emergency brake wasn't put on, even though I asked and then the car <laughs> fell and it's like, this is real life. And, and I, and I even stepped back and, and matter of fact, I made a social media post it, it, earlier in this week listing the things that I've watched my staff do this week that aren't teaching, whether mm -hmm. it's passing out. We, we, in our school, we just got inundated with EBT cards because we're a title one school. And, and these are, uh, you know, resources for families. We didn't know they were coming. The district didn't know they were coming, watching them gather and call 140 families to make sure they get these resources to 
you know, taking kids' temperatures to watching my school counselor in full PPE sitting in a quarantine room with a child that's not sick because we don't believe sitting outside of the room as we've been instructed because that isn't social and uh, that's not better for the social emotional health of our kids. Putting PPE on and sitting with a kid is traumatizing enough, but having a child sit in a room by themselves is not okay. So I, I think mm-hmm. I just am a... Uh, I'm just a product of my school and I do nothing different than anybody else would do in my school and changing attire isn't really in my job description, but it is in my, uh, and, and, and I guess our, my school's philosophy of, uh, meeting everywhere, anybody where they are and, and meeting the needs that we see, uh, uh, in that moment. What are some of the other things you said you've seen your staff do this week that are not in their job description? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I, I can go on and on. I mean, from delivering food to delivering things to families that, that are outside of school, whether it's medications they can't pick up. Um, I've seen providing PPE for families that they can use outside of school. I see de-escalation in, in with kids that are bringing so much stress with them. Um, matter of fact, I, I, I heard a scream and I was in my office, I heard a scream and I know the scream. I've known this child since she was in kindergarten. And I just went out and I said, Hey, and the teacher looked at me, and I said, I've got it. And I just said, what's wrong. And she said, Mr. Bortel, I just have so many stress days. And that's a fourth grader being able to communicate, honestly, thanks to you all understanding emotion and being able to express it. And watching, I I passed that situation off to my school counselor and watching her comfort and connect and de-escalate and come. I mean, it's just, Mm. it's amazing. And I'm going to be honest right now, educators need that same thing. Mm -hmm. They need comfort. They need connections. They need support. Um, and, And I don't think people really truly understand what it's like to be an educator on a normal day let alone in the midst of a pandemic where everything that we have built over time in a trauma-informed school is now being told, but you can't do that because it um, impacts those protocols of social distancing. So, I mean, I, I'm just in, in wow of, 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 my edu- of the, school, uh, my, the educators in my school every single day. Mm. Well, that's why this conversation is just more timely than it's ever been given all of the acute pressure that we're experiencing. So before we go further, let's take a moment to take care of our own selves and our own stress, acknowledging the full day that we've had and the opportunity that we have in front of us to have this discussion. So let's take a moment, if we're comfortable, and close our eyes. And just focus in on our breathing. Paying attention to each inhale and each exhale. Maybe thinking about one feeling, one thought that we'd like to let go of as we move forward in our conversation, a feeling or thought that we may still be holding on to from our day. And something we'd like to take with us 
that we hope to carry forward into this conversation and beyond. Let's focus in on what we'd like to let go of and what we'd like to take with us as we take three big breaths. So first breath in and out. Second breath in and out. Third and final breath in and out. And when you're ready, we can open our eyes. So um, I can go first. I'd like to let go of disappointment and I'd like to take with me connection. So I am going to let go of not having to have everything figured out. And I'm going to take with me the trust that I have um, in those that I work around. Nice. Thank you. So, you know, you have this background in trauma-informed practices. You've built this school that is championing and prioritizing trauma-informed practices. Why? Like, what was your motivation? Was there a crossroads? What was the moment where you said, this work is really critical and this is not just something I'm going to give lip service to. It's not just something that I'm going to, you know, read about or blog about or go to conferences about, but this is something that I'm truly going to make at the heartbeat of my leadership. So I can tell you, it was a, it was a moment, a paradigm shift, literally. Um, and I'm not going to get emotional, but I may. So, um, ironically, a great friend of mine who I've learned today just passed away, um, brought me I'm in. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yes. And it's, yes. Um, he brought me in a, a folder and he said, you need to read this. He's a, a mountain biking friend. Matter of fact, our professional worlds never connected until this moment. Um, our, our love of mountain biking, we connected all the time. We rode all the time. Um, and in that packet was all of this information about ACEs. And he said, Hey, there is a event that's happening. Uh, Vanderbilt's putting it on. I think you should probably go. It sounds like something you would really be interested in. And so, um, that was, that was the gate to, um, a revisioning of who I am as a human being, to be honest. And so I went to this lecture um, and it was, uh, it was a neuroscientist and a, uh, an assistant principal. And I'm going to be honest, I, I can't remember either of their names, but they started talking about adverse childhood experiences and they went through neuroscience to the connection to behavior. And I'll never forget that moment of going, Oh my God, like, this is what I, this is it. This is what I experience every day. This is what I see with kids. And um, I started, I mean, I, my brain was just going crazy. And so I ended up kind of talking to a few people and they're like, hey, it sounds like you would maybe really benefit from sitting in a small group question and answer with these two people. And I said, please. And the more the question and answers began, the more I could feel my heart just exploding. And mm -hmm. I broke 
I broke as an educator. I broke as a principal. I broke as a human being because I realized in the moment of what I was hearing, not only was I not doing what was right for kids, I was actually hurting kids. Mm-hmm. And it takes what, a lot. What were you doing? What were you, what do you, what do you think you were doing that was hurting kids? So I, I can, I, and I've, I've told this openly many times, we were restraining kids almost weekly. Um, and what I learned is it had nothing to do with the kids. It was a lack of our understanding and preparation to meet kids where they were. And it was about compliance. Um, and so I, I, that was it. That was the moment. And I, I began to consume anything and everything I could find uh, on reading and books and um, connections and people. And, um, and that started the journey in January. That was in January. By March, we had already started ACES training for all staff. We had started talking about what are we going to do instead? I banned um, clip charts in my school immediately. Um, and how I sold out to my staff was, if we want to have clip charts, I'm going to keep one for the faculty meeting so that when you pull your phone out, I'm going to call your name and you're going to come up <laughs> and you're going to clip down and we're all going to watch you and you're going to quit. Like, but kids can't, you, we, right. we like, no, this has to stop. And I remember somebody yeah. going, Oh, you can't take clip charts. Like what else are we going to do? Well, we're going to connect to kids. Like that's what we're going to do. Right, we're going to actually right, build right. a relationship. <laughs> And so that started it. That was the paradigm shift, honestly. And that first year, 50% of my, after that first year, 50% of my staff left. Really? And I, I hope none of them are listening, but some of them needed to leave. Like, right. And, right. and they just said, this, this doesn't fit. That's great. I'll find that place for you. And that's how the building of the, the culture shift in the school started. We started interviewing with that as our primary focus for adding new staff to the school. And how long, how many years has it been that you've this been? This is year life? six. Okay. So really by year three, we really hit our stride. Um, the second year we did monthly PDs on, on the impacts of trauma, on de-escalation. It was even before we had Move This World. Uh, we were talking about de-escalation. And I think what Move This World did for us was it aligned practice and implementation in a way that benefited everyone. And I think the one of the missing pieces, and many people maybe have seen our Edutopia video. Um, it's been viewed, I think, seven million plus times. Um, and one thing that we missed in that video that we we picked up after the fact was we had kids going to peace corners to reflect. No, we missed it. That we missed the mark. We actually now have kids uh, utilize peace peaceful places to deescalate, to reconnect. We have them identify emotions, right? Because now they have emotional vocabulary where Mm -hmm. they can say, as I told you before we recorded of the little girl saying, I just have stress days. Being able to express that, then we can actually provide support and process these big emotions with our kids. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, it's taken, and to be honest, we're still in it. There is no end game. And and I I tell people all the time, trauma-informed education isn't a program. It's, it's not a program. It's a mindset. It's how you operate. There is no checklist. There, people are making checklists. Uh, mm-hmm. People are making programs. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's how we think. And, and I think it's a journey. There's no end game. We, we, yeah. we just continue to manifest ourselves as educators, trying to do what's best for kids in a way that is um, neuroscience-based and trauma-informed. 
You know, I always say that this work is a journey that we've never arrived. We're never done. We're never certified, emotionally intelligent people that are never in need of more support and learning and growth. This is a a journey that we're on that we can continue to elevate our practice. You said that it took about three years before you felt like it really clicked. Mm -hmm. Um, What would you say was so critical in those first three years of getting you from a place where you weren't operating in a way that was trauma-informed to that being at the heartbeat of how you um, teach and learn and lead? I think number one is start with the why. We, we had to build it based off of research. We had to change the paradigms of how educators looked at behavior from a science standpoint. Undeniable, right? It, it, you just can't. It's undeniable. And mm-hmm. so we started there. And then it was support the staff as much as we support the kids. So if we're saying we're doing this, we have to support the staff. And I think back to those first days and, oh, my goodness, we didn't really have structures Um, And now, like, I can't believe how we're operating during a pandemic. We have a SEL um, team member assigned to every classroom. If a child goes to the bathroom, they go to our GroupMe app, they message, we safely take kids. If a kid's escalated, we have a team. I mean, if a teacher needs a tap in or tap out, which is like, I don't feel regulated and it's impacting the class, I can take a minute to get myself back to calm and then I go back. All these things weren't there. So I think it was support the staff as much as we support the kids. And thirdly, it was get the right people in the building. Mm -hmm. And so part of that was I have a letter that goes to every single candidate in my school that outlines clearly who we are, our core beliefs, um, and how we operate. And I look candidates in the eye and I say, I don't Mm -hmm. send children home here. It's not a practice that we use. Let me explain why. We know that statistically that puts them at higher risk for so many things, incarceration, dropout, drug use. I mean, all of these things we know. So it's not something we we're going to use. And so that's kind of sets the standard, right? Do you get pushback on that? Do you have candidates who say, well, you know what? I Then this really isn't a culture for me. Are you hearing that or not really? At this no, point? not really. But I can tell those people who don't believe it because it's very obvious. Like, You can tell people's natural reactions. And I use a Mm -hmm. panel because I tell people I have a 50% success rate on hiring people when I do it by myself. Like, so I have multiple perspectives because I may miss something. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's big ongoing. And I'm telling you, teachers have intuition. Teachers who have been doing this work have so much amazing intuition. They'll be like something like there's just something that's not there that, that, that we, that's not us. And so we really do hire um, mindsets. And my thing is we can teach you, we can teach you teaching strategies. Like we've got that. We've got a great core academic team, but to change a mindset is Mm -hmm. much more challenging. And so we look for those mindsets of, um, you know, kids do the best they can. Behavior is communication. Um, You know, kids that bring trauma need connection, those type of conversations. Unfortunately, people now just Google our school and can see all of that in the world. So right. sometimes they try to tailor it, but we, we, we've gotten pretty good at uh, finding the people. And I will tell you, and I'm not just saying this, my staff this year is hands down the best staff I've ever experienced in my career. Uh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Congratulations. 
So full disclosure, we kind of have alluded to this, but Fall Hamilton Elementary does use the Move This World program in the building to support the social emotional learning of its community. How do you see the relationship between social emotional learning and trauma-informed practices? Did you start with a trauma-informed philosophy and then layer in social emotional learning? Do you see social emotional learning as something that supports that philosophy or do you see trauma-informed practices supporting SEL? What's been your experience with those two fields of work? So I would say it started with SEL, even as, an, as a teacher. I was a teacher of non-English speakers. Um, I think I had six different countries. I had multiple different languages. And my whole premise as an educator was community, was connection, was making everybody feel that they were great at something, right? Identifying strengths and building kids upon that. That's always been my foundation as an educator. Now, back in the day, we had Ruby Payne and, and understanding, you know, the impacts of poverty. And the word was poverty. But I, I kept saying, like, some of the kids that I interact with, it's not poverty. Like, that's not it. And so I think SEL, to be quite honest, and trauma-informed are umbrellas, right? And sometimes they're almost similar in nature. I think trauma-informed and SEL are connected in that you're meeting kids where they are. I think where trauma differs from SEL is that you have to understand the impact of trauma to truly get kids where they are. Now, that doesn't mean we treat kids that have experienced trauma any different than, than we treat normally, uh, you know, untrauma, non-traumatized kids. But let's be honest, at this point, I don't know many kids that haven't experienced trauma given what we're going through right now in a pandemic, right? Right. So I see that, I see they're both in the same almost. I think that being in a higher need school, uh, being higher need schools my whole career, I knew it just wasn't poverty. I knew there was different layers than that. And so I think that's why it resonated with me with trauma informed. Um, but I see them simultaneously working together. So what would you say, I know you've written for Edutopia on this topic before, what would you say are some of the misnomers with regard to trauma-informed practices that people come to you either as non-believers or resistors, or even on the other side, folks who are excited but have this completely different idea of what it means to be a trauma-informed educator or school? So I, there's a lot, I'm going to be honest. And some of them, I mean, I, I, I've, I've had to build my capacity over time, just like anyone else. I think the biggest one that is always on the forefront is kids, kids don't get consequences. They can do whatever they want. And I hear that all of the time. And I think, you know, we have to be cognizant that our education system is built on a behaviorist mindset, right? And so understanding the foundations and how our education systems are built and understanding that some of that, that thinking is archaic and what we know based off of science, especially around neuroscience and trauma, that punishing, you can't punish trauma out of kids. You can't punish it. It's not going anywhere. Matter of fact, we know that research has clearly stated that it actually makes it worse when you're hammering kids with punishment. Um, right. and, and that is a mindset that kids are expendable. Like we don't have time to waste on this kid, right? So what I want to, what I think in an area that I always write about is it's about logical and natural consequences. And it's about connection through consequence, right? 
So let me give you an example because people are like, what does that really mean in real life? Okay. <laughs> so if a child is escalated and they tear things off the wall, the consequences, they have to put it all back. Now, mm-hmm. it may take a while and it may not be right now. And we're going to deescalate. And we're going to talk through and we're going to process and we're going to get to the core. But at the end of the day, you still have to go back and fix it. Right. Right. That's a logical consequence. Right. A natural consequence. You tell a child not to run in the hallway and they run in the hallway and they fall. First, I say, are you OK? Is everything all right? Right. I don't have to punish that kid. They just did it themselves. Right. right, right, right. The punishment came naturally. So I think, I think when we talk about consequence, we have to make it done in connection. And here's what I tell my own child. It's what I tell every kid in my school. I love you so much that I can't let you continue to do that. So we've got to figure out what else we can do. And I think when you met, when you talk about move this world, that's part of the game, right? That's part of going, what can we do instead of tearing things? Let's talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. Tighten and release. We're going to stop and work it out. Like these type of strategies take five deep breaths. I do that. When I get mad with kids in my office, they'll come in and I'll say, I need you to sit down because I'm going to take a moment right now because I'm feeling very frustrated and I'm very irritated. So I'm going to stop right now and I need to take some deep breaths and I will model it and I mean it and I have to because I am feeling that way. And you can see them like, he does it too. It's like, yeah, yeah, no, I feel all those emotions. Well, and not only not only does he do it, but he's stressed or he's frustrated too. Like these are yeah. feelings that my principal also experiences. I'm not alone in feeling frustrated or mm-hmm. sad or overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And it's key. I mean, and I think at the end of the day, we just have to step back. And if we know better, in the, in the words of Dr. Bruce Perry, if we know better, we have to do better. And I know better. So I, as an educator, as a principal, I have to do better. If I don't, it's malpractice. That's exactly what it is. If we know what we're doing isn't in the best interest of the kid, not just in the moment, but in the long term, then we have to change what we're doing. I mean, Mm -hmm. we have to. So, you know, you talk about the students coming in your office and you, you know, using your own emotional management strategies. You talk a lot about the importance of taking care of the educators, taking care of the adults who care for children. What does that look like at Fall Hamilton? We have a family first policy. Our families come first. That, the that's, families of the teachers. Yes. That's number one. If mm-hmm. your child is sick and you say, Portel, my child is sick. I'm not asking questions. I'm saying we got you covered. That's number one. Um, I don't send emails on the weekends. I don't. I don't. I don't do it. Um, I'm going to be honest and tell you, you know, my wife and I early in my administrative career made an investment in a tiny, small little cabin. We used to camp and it was cheaper to buy this little cabin than it was to camp. Um, And when I go to our cabin, my phone doesn't work. We don't have cell phone service. I don't have Internet and we don't have TV um, connections. So at the end of the day, I, I, I do it. So I'm like, if I can disconnect, I need you to disconnect. So. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, there's many things also within the building. We have so many support systems. I don't want teachers to teach through anxiety and stress. It's not fair. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like I mentioned earlier with tap in and tap out, if an escalated adult needs a minute, we're going to give it to them. Somebody's going to pop in. They're going to take the, the students while another adult is going to ask the adult 
do you need somebody to come with you to support you or do you just need a minute? And they take their minute. We're good. We're good to go. Um, I tell, I tell my, my staff too, you don't get paid to have parents scream at you. So if that happens, you turn them right over to me. Um, and, and you know, there's in, in workload, you know, I, I think so many schools see teachers as, um, commodities, I guess you would say, you know, and I think we have to look differently at that and know when we're at max capacity. Um, and I think some of that requires a little disruption and a little bit of, uh, 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 rebel spirit, I guess, of saying, you know, we're told to do this, but it, right now it's just too much. We just can't, we can't. Mm-hmm. And knowing what to, knowing what to support the teachers in the building on what we have to do versus what we are told to do. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. And in this particular year of a pandemic, where teachers are carrying heightened stress and anxiety. Are you doing anything differently this year or anything additive to what you would do in a typical school year? Boy, I mean, I'm going to be honest. We, we're, we're, building the, we're building the plane as we're flying it right now. And mm-hmm. I would lie to tell you, I would lie if I told you I wasn't feeling stressed. Yeah, I, I mean... Yeah. It's the the intensity of our environment right now is so high, I can't even begin to explain. Um, all I can do right now, honestly, is validate it. Um, I we talk about it. Um, we we utilize something called the Happy Teacher Revolution, where teachers have circles and they can process in a healthy way. Um, connect to these twelve choices. Um, my my first one being I disconnect in love. I disconnect from what we're experiencing because I love myself and I love the people that I work around, including the children. Um, but, but again, it's just being there when, when teachers need um, a minute. And I, I wish I could say we had a bunch of stuff, but I'm going to be honest, we are just really lucky to be at school every day and keeping kids and adults safe. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't lie. It's, 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 it's a lot on everyone right now. Tell us a little bit about the um, training or the circles that you mentioned for teachers. So um, there was a teacher. She's out of uh, um, uh, Baltimore. I almost said Boston. I always say Boston. It's Baltimore. And I actually met her at a conference when I was speaking about trauma-informed. And um, she was a kindergarten teacher who is a mental health advocate and and struggled with mental health herself. And so she uh, explained it that she grew up with an alcoholic mother who used to take her to AA meetings. And when it got really bad at school, she said, I need that same connection that my mom had. So she started and developed these circles that have uh, structured protocols around um, teachers providing support for each other. Because at the end of the day, I can do that, but I have to have my staff have each other's back. And part of that is being vulnerable, right? We have mm-hmm. vulnerability has to be um, at the cornerstone of all schools. It has to be. I've stood in front of my staff and said, I'm struggling right now. Because in hopes of them being able to stand in front of me and say, Mr. Prom, I'm struggling right now. Um, and it happens. And it, and it is what it is, right? But these circles are voluntary. They're led by teachers. Um, and it really is about trying to connect each other and understanding that we have each other's back. But this is really tough. Um, it's tough when there's no pandemic, right? Education right. is tough. Um, but it is definitely heightened by um, a, a great degree right now. So do you not participate in the circles? No, I don't. Um, because I want, I want that to be for them. I want that to be sure. part of their, um, 
I can tell you, I have a great group of uh, fellow principals that that I connect to honestly daily. Um, whether it's a text, whether it's a call, whether it's just we're going to talk through this. And man, are you experiencing this? Because uh, I can't be the only one. And oh yeah, it, I feel the same way. So I think in essence, uh, and she, it's funny because uh, Dana's joke, like you need a happy principal revolution where you can get in. I'm like, yeah, but principals are weird. Like I, I, I found myself being a bit of an anomaly on some, because I'm like, I'll be the first one to say, I don't know what to do. And I'm struggling. And most people are like, I can't believe you do that. You know, the, people think you can't yeah, handle no i totally can yeah. handle the job but i'm yeah. also not going to kill myself doing it and that's that's true um but in a small groups i think that these things happen um and everybody's feeling it if we pretend that we're not then it's it's a it's a facade that that needs to be broken down and i think Absolutely. these conversations have to happen um, can you give us a couple examples of some of the questions that or prompts that are posed in the circles for teachers? Yeah, so I've only participated in one, and that was the first mm -hmm. one because I wanted to mm -hmm. leave it up to them. So I'm trying to sure. remember. I know that um, one of the biggest pieces that I think most of the teachers had the biggest struggle with, that they had to affirm something that they were doing well. It was a personal mm -hmm. affirmation. Um, and another one was connection or uh, um, a commitment. And there's 12 uh, pieces to their commitments. There's 12 different things. And I'm going to be honest, I can't remember all of them. Um, and like I said, the one that always resonated with me is I disconnect with love. And so everybody goes around and shares and then um, which one they connect to and why. And then everybody goes and shares an affirmation. And then there's an open share time where they can share whatever they need to. Um, there's a talking stick. Uh, you don't talk unless you have it. Um, it's very much like an AA meeting from what I understand. Um, and she did say it's like an AA meeting, but teachers can go actually and have a drink afterwards. So <laughs> no, it's because all the restaurants and everything, but, um, but that, right. that's, that's the premise. I can't remember actually the, some of the tiny pieces. Um, but, no, those are, those are helpful. Those are nice to, um, to imagine the vulnerability yeah. that is cultivated in that space for teachers. Tell us about this particular year. What are some of the greatest challenges that you faced as a leader and how are you approaching them through a trauma-informed lens? Day one, kids running up to me with their arms open to give me a big hug. Mm. That, that, mm. That's day one, literally. And mm. I hope nobody from my district, I gave them a hug. I, I mean, I, <laughs> it wasn't six feet and it wasn't 15 minutes. So I don't know. Like, I, but it, You were wearing masks. I had a mask on. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, cool. Da, 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 okay, bye. Like. I mean, that's, that literally is day one when kids came in and it's like, wow, like I actually thought about should I, or should I not? That was the indication that things are going to be really different because never once in my mind did I ever question when a kid opened their arms and wanted to give me a hug, should I give them a hug? I, I just, that's not how we operate. So I think that's number yeah. one. I think number two, when we started setting up the building. When we started having to put all of these protocols into place and I thought, man, this is going to be so much different, right? That was, that was the second. Third, when we, we talk about, we use cooperative learning, not just as an academic piece, but a social and emotional uh, health piece of getting kids to connect. And we can't do those strategies the way that we could anymore. So even planning now is different. Because what we normally use as strategies, we can't use. And then I think when we realize, wow, we can't have peace corners like we had before. Um, we still have them. It's a chair with things that we can wipe down with a protocol that after the kid de-escalates, 
the teacher has to come and wipe them down or if the kid is in a space they can, they have to. Um, and then to be honest, really uh, about a week ago, I could just see the staff fatigue of going, dang, like, I don't know how I can take anything off because I don't think I, I don't know how to take anything off of them. Again, being vulnerable and transparent in, in this current state, like I can feel the intensity of the building. Um, and by the building, I mean the school as a whole, I can just feel it hovering there in the space. Um, I use humor a lot. I laugh every day. Um, mm. I laugh just like the story I told you about the flat tire. Like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I literally think in this moment right now, this really stinks, but it's going to make a great story at some point in my life. And also, what else are you going to do? It's like, sometimes it's like, well, there's really nothing you can do right now. So you may as well laugh about it. And we all laugh at school, but I can also feel it's harder to find. I can see that educators and my, the teachers in my school have a hard time finding things to laugh about. And I'm going to give you an example of me just trying to, like today there were teachers and we were at dismissal and they were out talking. And I said, hey, have you guys heard about the new district policy? We all have to wear but these buttons. And that when you go to talk to somebody, you have to touch it. And at, at minute 14, it starts bursting sound. And that means you have to disperse because it's under 15 minutes. I was joking, of course. And they okay. were like, <laughs> I was like, wait, right? they all look at me like, are you serious? I go, oh, no, y'all. I go, it's getting bad when you don't even realize my jokes are jokes. <laughs> then they laughed and they're like, oh, my God, Portel, like, come on. But it is like those moments of like, y'all, we have to laugh about this stuff because right. if not, but I can see that the intensity of the building, what I don't see is adults turning on adults. I don't see, I don't see that intensity of like adults not meeting the needs of kids. I just feel it. I feel it in the building and it's racking my brain going, what can we do um, to lower it? Because it's intense. I, I mean, it just is intense. You lead this work of prioritizing and championing trauma-informed practices, not just at Fall Hamilton, but also through the paradigm shift education and the trauma-informed educators network. Why is it so critical to support adults in this work? I mean, I think, you know, Jim Sporletter, who um, many know from the, the Paper Tigers documentary, he was the principal of, of Lincoln High School at Walla Walla. And he and I have become friends. Um, I, I couldn't believe that this guy that I was idolizing in this documentary, uh, we end up speaking at the same conference. We end up hanging out three straight nights. Like I'm like, Jim, it's like 11 o'clock, dude. I have to go to bed. I'm like, I go to bed at eight o'clock on a normal day. Anyway, he told me there's not enough people talking about this that are on the ground that are doing this work. He said, we have to get more people talking about it. Because if we're going to shift the paradigm, it's going to happen with the educators. You know, and in the documentary Resilience, there's a line that says, if you get the science into the hands of the general population, they will invent wisely. And I think that's what drives me. And I'm going to be honest and tell you, part of my self-care is motivating other people, is talking mm -hmm. to other people, is to see that reaction of that I had on that same day of listening to the neuroscience at Vanderbilt, of going, oh my goodness. Um, and motivating educators. And at the end of the day, I, I love doing that because, you know, even my personal mission statement says that I inspire people to be the best, right? And I live that. And at the end of the day, educators have so much influence and power to shift paradigms of systems. Um, and my, my whole focus of kids, too, is letting them find their voice habit eight. Uh, and the seven habits of highly effective people. Most people don't even know there's an eighth one. It's find your voice. But I think piece of a, a large piece of this is getting this information out 
to the masses. Um, and it's part of why I started Paradigm Shift. And to be honest, I didn't start this work to talk to people. And I, I was shocked the first time somebody said, hey, will you come talk to principals in our school district? And I'm like, me? They're like, yeah, you know, we saw your Utopia video. I'm like, sure. And then they handed me a check and I was like, wait, you just paid me to do that? Like, I want, so I took that and I started Paradigm Shift. And I'm like, if I can get this out to many people, I want to. And I think not because of anything other than it's who I am. This is now a part of who I am. It's part part of my personal mission statement. Um, and as a, I served as a foster parent for 18 months um, to two boys who were my previous students. And I can tell you um, that experience did nothing but fuel this fire so big that there's no snuffing. it. I mean, I lived and breathed and supported and loved two boys who had experienced the most incomprehensible trauma. And yet that trauma never defined them. They were two amazing little boys that I got to be a part of and love and be a parent and be a part of their, what I, I and when they went to their forever home, I said, you guys, you're always my family. Um, and we, matter of fact, we had the oldest one just came back a few weeks ago and stayed with us for the weekend. And, you know, it, it's, it's who you are. It becomes who you are. And I think the more adults that get the information, the bigger that paradigm shift is that we can see, the greater the impact we're going to have on kids. And ultimately, and think about if we can take this shift across the world, because right now the world is in a pandemic. You know, I, I have spoken in England on two occasions. I have listened and listened to the isolation boost that they put kids when they misbehave. This is something that needs to happen globally. And if I can be just a small little glimmer of any type of impact on that, I will do that till the nth degree. Uh, and I love to share this too. And, and, and it, it's kind of interesting. And I think it fuels my fire to speak is I was told my whole uh, elementary and middle and high school experience to be quiet. I remember being in so much trouble all the time. Just be quiet. You're asking too many questions. Be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. And as I stood on the stage just outside of London, speaking to a large conference, I said, I want you all to know this is the biggest irony that I've ever experienced because my whole educational career, I was told to be quiet. And yet now I'm standing here talking to you. And I, and I believe that, like, I, I just wish somebody could have harnessed that in me at a younger age, because, um, and when I see kids that talk all the time, I'm like, Oh, I know you, like you're going to do <laughs> great things. And it's why we have a leadership day every year at our school. It's ran, planned, ran and implemented by kids. And I have a DJ every year and it's the one kid that always was talking and I let them shine and they make me so extremely and utterly proud. That sounds so fun. I want to come to the um, next leadership day as soon as I'm allowed and invited. I hope you'll have me. So what advice would you give to school leaders, especially this year in a pandemic who are trying to support teachers, staff, students, through this really challenging time, there's so much on principal's plates, the expression that it's always lonely at the top. There's so much truth to that of it being isolating. And you mentioned having your own peer group, but for the principals who may feel a little bit more on an island, where do they begin and where, where should they prioritize and how they build a trauma-informed culture this school year? So first of all, you have to start with you. I mean, it comes down to, and man, this word is used so often, and you know this, 
self-care is this thrown around word that it, I, I feel like it's losing its, it's losing its bite because mm-hmm. it's associated with like giving somebody a chocolate bar. And that's not it. It really yeah. is disconnecting for time for you. Um, every year, you know, my wife, she, she allows me to go to my cabin for three days by myself. Like it's just something I've always done. And whatever it is, I don't care what it is, whether it's a bike ride, whether it's a walk, whether it's go to the gym, you have to prioritize that for yourself. If you're Mm -hmm. wanting to start a trauma informed shift in your building, you have to get the science into the hands of your teachers. You have to start with what does the neuroscience and trauma science say about kids and behavior? That's number one. You then have to support the adults as much as you support the kids with the strategies and with the idea um, that that everybody is doing their best. And you have to show that you have to live it and then ultimately come up with those relationship based interventions that form connection and not division. And so it really is about when a kid is deescalated, have a have a have a team, have a plan, know what deescalation is, use the emojis if you're familiar with move this world. Right. So it starts small and start gradually building. When I started at my school, we had no staff. The first year I wrote a grant, we got one staff member that was a, a, a trauma-informed practitioner was the name. She's actually a, a therapist. Since then, we now have two therapists. I have a school counselor that is a uh, certified or is a, is a licensed therapist. I have a district-given social worker. We have a team now. Our social-emotional trauma-informed team is the same size as our academic team. And that's because it took over time, prioritize. um, And I think even one big thing that we did this year, right before we had all the time with COVID happening where we could get the staff together, we reprioritized and redeveloped our beliefs as a school. And I think it has to be who you are as a school. So I think for a principal that's wanting to start, first, you got to know who you are and you Mm -hmm. have to let everybody get on board on who you are. And so as a leadership team, we drafted, developed, and came up with these core beliefs of who Fall Hamilton is. We presented it to the staff. We all agreed upon this is our core beliefs. And now when I have to have a hard conversation, I have our core beliefs behind me, literally going, this is who we say we are, but that's not what I saw happen. So what supports do you need to be successful? Right? Uh, not, I'm writing you up. You're in trouble. You didn't do what we said. No, 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 no. Like, what... What do you need to be successful so we can provide that for you? And I think during this time, it's it's more important than ever. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think one of the things that resonates with so many people is we had a mantra that was pre-forgiveness. Um, and I would challenge all educators and all principals to, to think in that term. Of That doesn't mean you make a mistake and it doesn't matter. It means that I believe that you are operating at your capacity, no matter what situation. You're pre-forgiven if you get upset, if you're frustrated, if you're irritated. Um, and I think once I took, once we took that mindset as a school, it released so much of like, ah, um, having a pre-forgiven mindset. And, and, and I think that those are keys. And I don't know how I would start right now if I was trying to start the journey other than those things, um, because it's really difficult right now specifically. This is really helpful, especially for leaders who are championing this work. What about the school-based teams? You talked about your social-emotional trauma-informed team, or if there are counselors or mental health professionals, how can they support classroom teachers and the rest of the adults in the community, acknowledging that 
every adult plays a part in ensuring that it's a climate and culture where students can thrive. Oh my goodness. Like if there's, if there is any integral parts of, of a school that are underutilized, it's our school counselors, it's our social workers. Let's be honest. It's our occupational therapists. Mm -hmm. They are the brilliance around, you know, the, the, the input that kids need and that sensory pieces and all they're underutilized. And I think that if you're a school counselor, you should be the, the hub and champion of this, whether it's just sitting with circles of teachers and having the conversation like I told, or having, hey, you know what, we're going to start a tap in and tap out system. And I'm going to kind of help manage and run it. Um, because I'm a Dr. Schroeder is my school counselor. And she hates when I talk about her because she's the most humble person. Um, I actually have coined her as Yoda because I really believe she's the keeper of all knowledge. Um, but she's our hub. Teachers go to her. She comes to me. She pulse checks the building. She tells me, Portel, we need to make some adjustments here. Like I can feel this, this, this is kind of, um, and so I think utilizing their skills, they are the skilled people around these therapeutic ideas and approaches. Um, and really using their voice to, to, to shift the paradigm of the school is imperative. Um, and I think if principals, if you're not utilizing, if those aren't your best friends and you're wanting to do this work, they must become your best friends because mm. they are the experts in your building. Mm. So important. So helpful. I feel like I could talk to you all night. I know, I know it's been a long day, but I, I really do feel like I could, we could have subsequent discussions to dig deeper into so much of what you shared. Really quick, rapid fire. Matthew, how do you stay socially and emotionally well? Oh man, I, uh, I'm an avid fisherman. And so I fish on my boat. I have a little fishing boat. My son goes, as I mentioned, we have our cabin. I go there two to three times a month on the weekends. Um, literally don't have, can't even look at my phone. It is wonderful. Nice. Um, spending time with my family. I mean, uh, tonight at dinner, my son took one end of spaghetti and gave the other end to our French bulldog and they raced to see who could get in the middle. And it was awesome. Um, <laughs> and I laughed and I shared it on my social media and I'm like, y'all, this is Wednesday. Y'all need to see this because it made my day. <laughs> so those are those pieces. Nice. And what is one um, book or resource that you think all educators should take a look at? Oh my goodness. That's such a hard one. Um, man, I would believe that they're kind of two. Five. Okay. Sure, um, sure. So the one that really helped me in a lot of ways is the boy who was raised as a dog by Bruce Perry. If you really want to get into the impacts of trauma, and then if you want to understand really the science behind it, The Deepest Well by Nadine Burke, um, both of those books are absolutely fantastic. I actually have some more about self-care back there, but I won't talk about those because I was limited to two. Awesome. No, maybe that can be for our next, you know, subsequent <laughs> discussion. Uh, this was such a gift, especially for what we're all living right now. I so appreciate the opportunity to have this really important conversation with you, Matthew. Let's go ahead and close. Um, just like we opened with an opportunity to ground ourselves so that we are able to soak in this conversation and move on to whatever we're going to do next. Let's close um, by identifying something that we are grateful for right now, what that might be through a word or phrase or a sound, if that's more accessible to you. Um, and let's focus in on that gratitude as we take one deep breath together. So breath in, 
and out. And Matthew, I am grateful for connection. I am grateful for health right now. Nice. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thank you for the opportunity. It's always great to talk to you. Oh, it's so great. You're so inspiring. And please let me know how we can continue to support you and advocate for what you're doing because it's such an inspiration, not just for me, but for all of the educators and students and families who get to hear about your work. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning into the SarahCast today. I loved spending this time with you. Before you go, join me for one final breath and hold in your mind a word or phrase that you are taking away from this conversation. Breathe in and breathe out. If you liked this episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find all of our episodes on movethisworld.com. The SarahCast, Conversations in Social-Emotional Learning, is produced by the Move This World Audio Network. Move This World supports social-emotional learning for students, their families, and their school communities through evidence-based curricula rooted in creative expression and movement. You can find additional resources to support SDL in your district, school, classroom, or home on our website, movethisworld.com. I'll see you next time.